If you have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 34. feel like the Lord has directed a very specific and pointed word for this day as we conclude the series of messages that we have called the God series. Exodus 34. We're going to begin reading at verse 29, if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not or was not aware that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. I need the boldness and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon me today, and I ask you to stretch your hand this direction and pray for me and pray with me. God, I come before you right now, and I thank you for the word of the living God that is so powerful and so pointed and so direct. And Lord, I pray that in this challenging culture and time that we find ourselves in, that the word of God would still be alive and would quicken our spirit, our heart, and our soul. Speak through me with anointing, with boldness. May the people of God, the ones in person, the one online, the ones online, may they, may they hear the word of God, receive it with gladness, and may it change us from the inside out. We give all glory and honor to you for what you're going to do in Jesus' precious name. And the church said... Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Tony. The Bible clearly declares that the Lord, He is God, and besides Him there is none else. You've heard me say it once. You've heard me say it several times. There is no second place God. There's only one Lord, one God. We will conclude the God series today, and following Moses, we have discovered that he had several life-altering events with God. And he shows us by his life example that these moments 
are available to all of us who hunger for them. We've talked of knowing God and that the Father wants you to know Him for who He is and not just what He can give to you. And that a true friend and follower of God spends time with God just being in His presence, knowing God. Then we discovered that we can have encounters with God, encountering God, strategic times that God has designated on His calendar to bring about revolutionary change in our lives that can alter us forever. Then last week we learned the value of hearing God. Can we hear God? Can we experience His glory? Do they, in fact, go hand in hand? And based upon biblical patterns and examples that we shared with you, if a person will go after the glory of God in their life, they are to be guaranteed to have the direction of God in their life. They will be afforded the voice of God speaking into their spirit and into their soul and giving them the all-important direction that they need. But it begins with hungering after the Lord. Go after His glory and then be ready to hear His voice. Today we want to conclude after we've talked about knowing God and encountering God and hearing God, today we want to talk about displaying God. You and I are called to reach lost people that do not know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And a great way to impact lost and dying people is to walk with the glow and the countenance of the Savior in your life. It can happen. There's something special. You don't even have to speak the words. You don't have to articulate it. There's something that's magnetic about a Christian, a brother or a sister that spends time in the presence of the Lord. People are drawn to them. They are a magnet. They don't have to shout it from the mountaintop. Their witness may be verbal, but their life is a huge witness to those that are around them. And so the thought-provoking question is, do you truly display the impression and the image and the countenance of God upon your life? Before we dive into that, I want to talk about Aaron's dilemma. Give you a little bit of background. Aaron was the brother of Moses. And God started a priesthood, and he selected one man that in the Old Testament would come into his presence on behalf of the people. And so Aaron, Moses' brother, was that choice. And you need to hear this. You need to embrace this. Aaron had a personal invitation from God. In Exodus 19, 24, just before the Ten Commandments, God said to Moses, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron, with thee. But if you look closely in that passage, Aaron apparently <clears throat> does not accept the first invitation. For in Exodus 20, when all the thunder and the lightning and the trumpet and the smoking mountain is taking place at the giving of the Ten Commandments, Aaron seems to be missing from the mountain 
And instead, he is down among the people. Aaron chose to withdraw with the people rather than come up into God's presence as the high priest. That's significant. That's very important to the message that I believe God wants to communicate to every one of us today. But thank God for grace. Amen. Thank God for second invitations. For the Bible says that there was a second invitation that God extended to Aaron, Moses' brother. If you look in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 1, you'll read these words. And God said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, you and Aaron, and his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. A second invitation for Aaron. He and his sons and 70 elders were invited to the mountain of God and Moses to the peak. Verse 10 says, and this is important, that they, he responded, they, including Aaron, saw the God of Israel. And there was under God's feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. What a majestic sight to behold. What, a, what, what a, an encounter for Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders along with, along with Moses. I looked at the message translation of Exodus 24.10 and this is what it says. God was standing on a pavement of something like sapphires that were pure and clear and sky blue. I mean, it must have been something uh, to behold. And I like what verse 11 says. It really, we kind of gloss over this part, but verse 11 says, they saw God and did eat and drink. So I want you to get this. Right there, near the peak of the mountain, with his sons and with his brother Moses and the 70 elders of Israel, Aaron has an encounter a majestic encounter with God Almighty. He saw God. The scripture says that. He saw God. And not only did he see God, but he sat down and he ate with all those men in the presence of Jehovah. Now, if you notice in verse 14 of that chapter, Moses tells Aaron and her and the elders of Israel to stay put where they are near the peak Terry right here, while I, Moses, uh, I've got to go to the summit. I've got to go to the zenith to spend some time alone with God. Let me just divert here for just a moment. Because as I was praying and preparing for this message this morning, I felt in my spirit hard this week that there are many people in this room, many watching online. Some of you are at a crossroads. You're at somewhere on the mountain. And I want to tell you something. There's always going to be activity of man at the bottom of the mountain. But I also want you to know that there is the glory of God that's at the peak of the mountain. 
Oh, somebody ought to say amen right there. And the question is, which do you have your eyes set upon? Which are your intentions? Even if God has you waiting on the side of the mountain, are you looking up to the peak where God is? Or are you looking back down to the base of the mountain where the world and the flesh and the devil is pulling you? I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else this pastor says today, if you will get to the mountain peak and get alone with God, you will be changed. Oh, praise the Lord. You will be transformed. You will be completely altered from the person that you are today. But I'm telling you, if you go back to the foot of the mountain, God's image in you will change. Oh, I tell you, that bears repeating again. If you will get to the mountain peak, God will change you. Oh, Lord, help us today. But if you allow yourself to be drawn back to the base of the mountain, you will find yourself in the valley, and in the valley, God's image inside of you will change. The Bible tells us, tragically, that Aaron chose to stay with the people, even after seeing God, even after seeing the feet of God on a sapphire stone and beholding all the clearness and the glory of heaven in his embodiment, even after seeing God and eating a meal in his presence, Aaron found more comfort in the presence of the people than he did in the glory of the Lord. The next time you read Aaron's activity and how it is mentioned, it's during that 40-day span when Moses was at the zenith with God. And during that 40-day span, Aaron did not stay in the mountain, but he went back to the camp with the people. And then in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 1, the next thing that happens is that the people they're missing Moses. They don't know what's happened to their leader. And so they looked at their high priest, the chosen spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. And this is what they said. We don't know what's happened to Moses. Make us gods that shall go before us. The people looked to a man who was supposed to go with Moses to the peak of the mountain. But he didn't at the first invitation. The people looked to a man who was supposed to stay at a place in the mountain and wait on Moses to come back. And he didn't do that either. And the Bible says that Aaron, the high priest of God, led the people into idolatry. Now, I'm telling you, the Lord's going to help me here. And, and I, I, it could get a little tight up here in just a few minutes. But I believe I have a word from God today. Aaron, a high priest chosen by God. The Bible says that he fashioned down at the base of the mountain among the people. He fashioned a golden calf with a graving tool from the earrings of the people of Israel. The scripture says this spiritual leader created an idol that was supposed to represent God. Now, his explanation is about as silly and foolish as you can read anywhere in the Bible. Because when he was later confronted about the golden calf, this was his explanation. The people gave me their gold, I threw it into the fire, and poof, out come this golden calf. 
That's the truth. That's exactly what he said when he was confronted by Moses. And then the Bible says not only did he build a golden calf, but he built an altar to the calf. Now you got to get this. At the base of the mountain, Aaron and the people broke the first two of the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments that God had just given to them. Well, what were those commandments? I'll tell you what they were. Number one, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment was, you shall not make unto thee any graven image. This is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, and Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. And I submit to you this day that the reason that it all happened was because, number one, he didn't stay in the mountain with God. God did not change him because he left the mountain and he went back down to the valley to the base where the people were. When he went back down to the base of the mountain, Aaron lowered God to the image of a calf. And it was all because he didn't stay in the peak with the Lord. So instead of Aaron changing, God's image inside of Aaron changed. Now let me bring this current, and let me bring it relevant to every single one of us today, because it is a constant war. It is a constant battle. The Apostle Paul said, when I will to do good, evil is present. He, he talked about the fact that the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh. There's not a person in this room that doesn't deal with daily battles to try to keep the flesh under submission and the spirit in superiority. And that's what we're supposed to do. God told us that's what we would have to deal with. But I really want to talk about the Aaronic church today. The Aaronic church. You see, we've talked about Aaron, the old Testament priest. Now let's talk about the priesthood of the New Testament church. Now let me just stop here and tell you, we do not go to an earthly priest. That was under the Old Testament. Today we go straight to Jesus. There is no Hail Marys going on in the church of God at Pulaski. There is no pray in the rosary going on at the Pulaski Church of God. You don't need to. You can go straight to Jesus. I'm telling you, when he died on the cross, he tore the veil. There is no high priest that goes in on our behalf. I don't know where some of these other movements come up with it, but it's not of the Lord. It's not in the New Testament church. But let me tell you what is in the New Testament church. Believers are called to be a royal priesthood. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, oh me. First Peter chapter 2. We're a royal priesthood. Jesus is our king. And we are priests unto the Lord. And so my question is, has the church been guilty of Aaron's sins? More personally and more directly, have you found yourself migrating back to the bottom of the mountain when it was convenient where the crowd was? Have you gone back to the old ways of the world and yet you still maintain you are in Christ and therefore somehow you're justifying your actions around the idol's calf at the foot of the mountains? This is going to be historical fact. Some of you know it. Many of you probably don't. But Aaron, he, he, he spent 80 years 
in Egypt. He spent 80 years in Egypt. And during the 80 years he was in Egypt, which by the way represents the world, while he was there, there he, he was exposed to the worship of idols. There was one idol that was named Apis. Did you know Apis was a bull? B-U-L-L. Apis was a bull. And, and, and Aaron was around that for 80 years. All the people of Israel were exposed to that in their slavery for all of those decades. Not only was it uh, Apis, the bull, was worshipped, but there was another in Egypt called Hethor, H-E-T-H-O-R, and it was represented by the image of a calf, and Hethor was the goddess of heaven and earth. So you had Apis, the bull, and then you had Hethor, the goddess of heaven and earth. Both of these are idols. They're part of the Egyptian culture. Not only were the nation of Israel exposed to it, but Aaron was also exposed to it as well. And what I've come by to preach to you is because Aaron didn't go on to or stay in the mountain because he rejected the first invitation and because he didn't dwell and linger at the second invitation in the presence of God and allow God to change him. He conformed himself to the image of what God, what he thought God was. He reverted back to the culture he had been delivered out of. Y'all getting that? It was no coincidence that poof came out the golden calf. Hello? That wasn't irony. That wasn't coincidence. That was because the people had been adjusted to that culture. They had known that culture. That's what they had known all them years in Egypt. And Aaron, though he had been called out from that culture, that's the culture that he was adjusted to. That was the culture he was accustomed to. In essence, the image of God was forged by the society around him. Oh, Lord, help me preach this morning. Now, let me just stop here and tell you something. Everyone in the room and everyone online, you need to be saved. And I will tell you the simple way to become a Christian today. Number one, come to Jesus and say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Number two, pray, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. And I believe what you did on the cross was for my salvation. And then number three, I accept you into my heart as Savior and Lord. When you do these simple, oh so simple steps, you will become a Christian, you will become a believer, but I'm telling you, you have to leave the base of the mountain and you have to start pursuing God in the peak of the mountain. I have watched, as many pastors have, I have watched with a broken heart too many that came to the altar and declared that they were delivered from sin, from Egypt. But instead of going to the peak of the mountain, allowing God to change them, they instead went back to the base of the mountain, revealing this very profound truth. You may have left Egypt, but you didn't get Egypt out of you. When you are conforming an image of God, Mm. Not based upon a mountaintop experience with God. But an image of God based upon the society around you that's at the base of the mountain. Society 
will be more than happy to form God in your heart for you. Listen to this. Isaiah 29 and 13. God said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips they do honor me, but have removed their heart from me. And this last part, it's easy to gloss over, it says, And their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. taught by the ideologies of men, the perspective of Hollywood. There ain't much Christian in Hollywood. You better be careful about listening to anybody out of Hollywood. Christianity filtered through Hollywood or society and their compromising views. I saw this from our sister church the other day. This is exactly where we find ourselves. First, we overlook evil. Then we permit evil. Then we legalize evil. Then we promote evil. Then we celebrate evil. And then we persecute those who still call it evil. Isaiah 5.20 tells us exactly the day that we're in. Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil. Are we not living in that day today? Just because society says it's Christian doesn't make it Christian. <laughs> Maybe you're here. Maybe you're allowing society to dictate your Christian values instead of getting to the top of the mountain and letting God change you from the inside out until you're truly conformed into the image of Jesus. Hollywood will not promote Christianity in the truest sense. Society will not promote Christianity in the truest sense. And here's what's really a shame. Even the church has failed this generation. When whole movements are embracing homosexuality, which is an abomination to God, the church has let this generation down. Church is offering small groups where they study the Bible, but alcohol flows freely. It's true. You take me to task, that's fine. It was a sobering moment when I was in a gym several years ago, a little better than probably 11 or 12 years ago, and I was exercising next to a, an acquaintance of mine who was talking about how great his church was doing. And, man, we have we have small group. And, man, small group is great, man. We met at a Mexican restaurant. And we talked about God and drank all the beer we wanted. I know I'm getting some pushback on that because society has worn down the believer has worn down the church. Many parts of the Bible are left out of pulpits for fear of offending someone. It's true. The, quote, don't judge me mantra has caused many pastors and churches to water down the whole gospel so not to cause people to be uncomfortable. Let me just go on record here. 
what you perceive as somebody that may be judging you may actually be, in fact, the good old-fashioned conviction of the Holy Ghost, and you better listen to the voice of the Lord. The church in many parts of our country has become the ironic church. And rather than pushing our people to the peak where a holy God can change them, we've coddled them back to the base of the mountain where they can form their own image of God that is convenient. And even worse, we celebrate the image of God with them. I've made the statement a lot here recently. I will not leave you in the dark. I will not deceive you. I cannot afford to coddle you. I will stand before God and the same Bible that judges you will be the same Bible that God uses to judge me. Well, Pastor, I thought this was Valentine's Day and you're supposed to be talking about love. You're supposed to be, you know, why didn't you bring us a little John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Did you know the same writer that wrote that? It's all also the same writer that under the inspiration in 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God help us to leave the base of the mountain and head back to the peak with the Lord. This is about your soul. Just because it's convenient doesn't make it godly. Just because it's comfortable does not make it holy. Well, God knows my heart or God understands my situation. No matter your situation, you will never find biblical justification for a compromising and sinful lifestyle. It is not there. Don't be fooled by Hollywood, society, or even a watered-down church's image of God. Leave the base. Get back to the peak. You just cannot filter God's Word through your logic thinking, and perspective. It stands alone. It stands true. You either embrace it or accept it. I'm telling you, if you go after God with all of your heart, young people, if you leave the base and head to the peak, when you get there, you'll not only discover that you've left Egypt behind, but you'll also discover that God's taken the Egypt out of you. You see, <laughs> I know that was an Old Testament narrative, and it's true. But listen to Romans one twenty three, a New Testament letter. Listen to it carefully. They changed the glory of God into an image of man 
or birds, four-footed or creeping things. They lowered God to an image that was culturally sound and acceptable. Now, we're in a Western culture. This doesn't necessarily describe us. For example, a cow may walk down the streets of India treated as a god while millions starve to death. But a cow walks down our streets, we're having hamburgers for supper. We, that's a Western culture. In our Western culture, our worship is of self. It was prophesied in the last days men shall be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. Gnosticism and secularism and humanism have become golden calves in the, in the culture, in the Western culture that we find ourselves living in. God is man and man is God and if it feels good, do it and fulfill your own pleasures. I tell you, the second one is, is money. Money! In the Western culture, money is a god. Self is a god. Money is a god. We'll stop a train to make a buck. And yet we carry none of it with us when this life ends. And yet I know believers that money has taken them back to the base of the mountain. money's not your God, then giving money away won't be a problem. Woo. Last time I checked, it's still more blessed to give than it is to receive. I don't want to display a culturally acceptable God that comes from the foot of the mountain. I want to display the God from the mountaintop. But to display the God from the mountaintop, I have to go after the God in the mountaintop. When he invites me, as he did Aaron, to come, I need to come to where he is. And when he gives me a second invitation to linger where he's at, I need to linger where he's at. And then, when I have done that, then I can display God as he called me to. You cannot display Jesus if you don't go to where he is. You cannot display Jesus if you don't allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. Moses displayed the true God. He was alone with God. Was he perfect? No. Still had a temper. Broke the Ten Commandments. Struck a rock when he was supposed to speak to it. But Moses knew the secret of dwelling in the presence of God. He was alone with God for 40 days in God's glory. He left the people. He got alone with God. God showed him his glory. And when he came out, the people knew it. His countenance proved it. Moses, in the glory, displayed the glory. 
And when you have left the societal ways and the Hollywood hypocrisy and the pretend church that tries to conform God to their image and you've gone to the peak spiritually, when you come out, people will see your peace and your joy and your anointing. I mentioned this Wednesday night. Why was it that Stephen, as they pelted him with stones, why was it that he was able to say, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand, and Lord, do not lay this sin at their feet. Do not lay this at their charge. Why was he able to do that? Because a chapter earlier, the Bible says that when they first confronted him, his face looked like the face of an angel. The glory of God was upon him. That's a man that had spent time alone at the peak. You say, I, man, I have a tough time forgiving people. Stephen didn't have a tough time, and they were hitting him with rocks. But the reason why he didn't have a tough time and why he could offer grace was because a chapter earlier, his face, his countenance had shone with the presence of God. And the reason that his face shone with the presence of God, Sister Mary Ann, was because he had spent time in the presence of the Lord. He had gone to the mountain. Bow your heads, would you? God wants you to know him. He wants you to encounter him. He wants you to hear him. And oh, how much this world desperately needs for you to display him. But you cannot. You can't do it with a life of duplicity. You can't do it at the base of the mountain with your golden calf of self or of money. You can't allow society to dictate to you who God is. You can't allow... You can't allow Hollywood and all their hypocrisy to try to influence you as to who God is. I told you last week, your pastor, he tries, he prays, he tries to prepare himself. But I'm telling you, this, this vessel is flesh. This vessel is carnal. This vessel is not always spiritual. This vessel sins. This vessel makes mistakes. This vessel lets God down, lets family down, lets church down, lets the world down. This vessel is not perfect. I'm telling you, you cannot, you cannot try to form an image of God through someone else. You have to go to the peak for yourself. Oh, sweet Holy Spirit, help us today. Sinner friend, are you ready to leave the world's ways? The Lord said in his word, come out from among the world and be a separate people and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. What's he saying there? He's saying leave the base of the mountain and start climbing to the peak where God is. The world's ways will leave you void. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you feel like you're stuck on the side of the mountain. You hear the voice of the Lord beckoning you to come, come up higher, come in closer. 
But the world is pulling at you. The flesh is pulling at you. One disappointment after another. I'd rather be comfortable among the people at the base than I would be to dwell in the glory of God or pursue the glory of God. As some young people that are in this battle right now, I feel it in my spirit. They say, preacher, I need prayer today. I really, I really want to sharpen my focus toward the peak of the mountain, and I want to come and pray. I want, I want to recommit myself to the peak of the mountain, and I want to come and pray. Is there anybody in the house? Up is the peak. Down is the compromising culture. And the question is, is which way will you go? You will not be able to remain idle. Aaron didn't accept the first invitation, and Aaron, after experiencing God, he left and returned to the base. He didn't continue pursuing God at the peak. Hey, preacher, I hear the word. I need prayer today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to ask you to get up and, from your seat and come to this altar. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to stand, stand. But is there anybody that will be honest today with the Lord? Say, well, I'm a believer, but man, the, the pressures are intense. The temptations are strong. And I need God to help me. I need to re retool. I need to refocus. I need to say, God, turn my vision back to the peak. I appreciate the honesty of these hearts. there be others that would come and say Jesus turn my attention back to the peak turn my attention back to the peak of the mountain one of the most godliest women of 91 years comes to this altar that should be an indictment to the rest of us Every one of us in the room ought to say, I need to sharpen my focus to the peak of the mountain. Oh God, touch hearts today. Let's be honest with you, Lord. Let's be honest with you, Holy Spirit. Dear God. Dear God. It can be a moment, Lord, a moment of weakness when I turn my attention back to the base. Instead of lifting my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help, there's got to be a way of consistency. There's got to be a way of constancy where the trip ups are less frequent because I've hungered and thirsted more after God than I ever have. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Send me back to the peak. Send me back to the peak. If I go to the base, I subject myself to others' impressions of God in me. Oh, dear Lord, forgive me, God. Forgive me for too much time at the base of the mountain. you for these souls broken in your presence. Many of them serving you many years, but today they're being transparent before you, saying, God, I want more of you. 
I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you. Preach the gospel for many years and says, God, today, I'm saying again, take me back to the peak of the mountain. This would be the desire of your heart. I want everybody in the room to stand and lift your hands to the Lord. Lift your face to the Lord and say, God, take me back to the peak of the mountain. Would you do that right now? Would you do that right now? Would you just begin to cry out to him, Lord? If I'm not careful, I'll be dictated to by society, by Hollywood, by a watered-down church as to who you are and what you are and who you are to be in my life. I can't afford that, Lord. I've got to go back to the peak of the mountain. Help me. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come on, worship him. Worship him. He's a holy God today. The same holy God of the Old Testament is the same holy God of the New Testament. Holy God, we worship you. The scripture says, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Anybody living at the base of the mountain, anybody that would put idols before you, anybody that would have a graven image that's more important than you, they're not going to make it, Lord. They're not going to make it because you're a jealous God and your glory will you not give to another. So God, we must pursue you. We must climb that mountain. We must go hard after you like the deer that is so thirsty running, leaping from the hunter that is on the prow, but is so thirsty. As the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul longs after thee, oh God.